0: everyone and welcome to sharp scratch you're listening to episode 86 i'm a phobic medical student get me out of here this is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and is sponsored by medical protection Uh, every fortnight medical students and junior doctors gather together with an expert guest to talk about all the things that you need to know to be a good doctor but that you don't always get taught in medical school I'm Charlotte and I'm currently working at the BMJ um, as the editorial scholar, which means I'm looking after all the content that student produces over the year, um, including all the articles and the podcasts. Um, I'm also a medical student, I just finished my fifth year at the University of Oxford in July. Um, And yeah, today
1: we're joined by our regular panellist Lily. Uh, Lily, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, I'm Lily, I'm an F1 in Somerset, I went to uni in London um, and I live in Somerset, so very um, countryside vibe at the moment, which is fun, (laughs) I'm kind of trying to embrace cottagecore and all that sort of stuff Um, and I'm excited to be here. And we've also got a new panellist today, Um,
0: so I'd like to introduce Stanamere.
2: Hi, everyone. Um, So yeah, I'm standing here. I'm a third year medical student at the University of Warwick on the Graduate Entry Medicine Programme. Um, Yeah, excited to be here. It feels like ages ago that we had our meetup in London in July when I was all stressed about exams. But here we are recording my first episode. And yeah, looking forward to um, having a chat with all of you today.
0: Yeah, it's really exciting to have you with us. Um, And finally, I'd also just like to welcome our expert guest today, Digby. Digby, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself?
3: Thanks, Charlotte. So I'm a general adult psychiatrist working in Oxford and now working in the community rather than inpatient units. And um, we cover many of the GP practices which serve the student population. So I think this is the first podcast I'm involved with. So excited to see it all happen.
0: It's great to have you with us. Medicine can sometimes be like the reality TV show I'm a Celebrity, in that some of the stuff we have to do is just unpleasant, whereas other parts may be quite phobia-inducing. In today's episode, we're going to be talking all about phobias. We'll discuss what happens when you have a phobic response to something, the ways in which this can impact you whilst you're studying medicine, and also um, kind of, whether, sort of how to tease out whether something is just dislike or whether it is an actual phobia. So Digby, to start us off, what actually is a phobia? What happens to you, kind of physically and psychologically, when you come into some into contact with something that you might have a phobia
3: of? Um, so the the emotion is is fear, and it's I mean that's the also the direct translation. But what it is is a, a combination of a, um, psychological and physiological uh, expression of fear to a specific. Stimulus and the uh, symptoms are therefore those that most people will recognise if they've ever been in a in a threat situation. So it might be heart racing, breathing rapidly, perspiring, and a psychological sense of of impending doom. Um, so what I'm describing are the uh, features of panic symptomatology, which go very which go along very closely with phobias. And so phobias can be thought of as a specific fear reaction uh, to a stimulus. And that is manifested by physical symptoms, which are the equivalent of a panic attack. But what then happens is that phobias lead to avoidance because people don't want to have another panic attack, or they don't want to have those physical symptoms. And there are many more than I've mentioned. There's the Uh, fit the GIT aspect of um, butterflies or a sense that um, you might lose control and a sense of arousal uh, with feeling unpleasant, looking around for an escape. Uh, So something like social phobia, it's very much about if you do end up in a situation that you're not happy in with other people, even if you know them and they might be friends, but you're looking for a way out Uh, and you'll choose the, if you go to a restaurant, you'll choose the seat nearest the door or nearest the exit and you want to know that you can get out as quickly as possible especially if you're starting to have um, a panic attack.
0: I think that's really helpful for us all just to kind of get uh, an overview of what might be going on in that kind of moment Um, and Digby you're a psychiatrist and I was just kind of wondering what are the most kind of common phobias you've come across?
3: The commonest ones are um, social phobia um, and then you get um the specific animal phobias like spider phobia or arachnophobia, uh fear of heights um fear of flying um and then fear of thunderstorms um But many phobias that that you know the terms of are very common, so you 'll know about claustrophobia and agrophobia, so if you 've heard of one, then it's most likely going to be one of the common ones but but in terms of talking space presentations, people who either self-refer or have a GP referral, social phobia tends to be the the leading one.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that's really helpful for us to know. And I guess within a medical setting then, um, I suppose you're being exposed to kind of more specific phobias. So uh, I guess things like needle phobia or a phobia of blood or of sick. Um, and yeah, Sanamir, Lily, I was wondering if either of you had any kind of experiences with phobias that you wanted to kind of talk about?
1: Uh, yeah, Hundy P. Uh, For as long as I can remember, I have had the worst needle phobia. I don't know where it started. I really don't. Like my mum is not, I don't know. There's no like parental stuff. There's no childhood trauma. There's no like bad childhood experience. There really isn't. Um, But I was terrified of needles as a child and like going to get my flu jab. My mum would have to lie to me and tell me we were going to like the shop or something. And then would hold me on her lap And so obviously that kind of made it worse. Um, And then so I started like hiding in toilets and things like that. And so I'd really avoid all my vaccinations. Um, And then so deciding to do medicine was like, all my friends and family were like, what on (laughs) earth are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. Um, But I read an amazing blog by this lady who also had needle phobia and was a medical student. And she was like very positive about it. And I was like, "Okay, I can do it um and it was actually really difficult um i was fine in like clinical skills on like a plastic arm totally fine and blood isn't a problem for me but it's just entering skin so needles or scalpels um like any kind of surgical instruments like cutting or anything like that um i found really really difficult and so taking blood on a real person took a long time for me to build up the stamina to do it um And then I kind of had taken blood a few times and I was like, I got really sweaty and my gloves would get like actually wet. Um, and it was really stressful. And then in third year we were cannulating and I just avoided it. And so by the end of third year, I still hadn't done one cannula and I was like, oh my gosh. So I had to go back to clinical skills and redo my cannulation skills training because I needed to make myself do it. And then the nurse there was like, oh, um, I've actually got an an, an anaesthetic reg here and you can cannulate him. And I was like, "Uh, uh, what? (laughs) And he was like, yeah, we're we're doing it. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. He was like, yeah, 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 we're doing it. And it was actually really good for me. So I had to just do it. Um, And that is kind of the like uh, conclusion of it all is that I still, I really do still have that phobia but I have to make myself do it. So now taking bloods and cannulas, that is really fine for me. Like genuinely doesn't make me scared. Um, I did an LP the other day and I did it and I didn't faint and I didn't throw up or cry. Crying is the biggest reaction. Um, but I hated it. I did not like the LP. So it's, it's exposure really. So I used to like watch YouTube videos of like horrible needle things to like expose myself. And that has been genuinely the thing that has helped me. So now I'm managing. I'm genuinely managing. I'm not going to be a surgeon. I'm not going to be an anaesthetist. But I actually quite enjoy bloods and cannulas. Um, so that's weird. It's weird. It's weird to be here. <laughs> yeah that was long-winded sorry no
0: no not at all it's yeah it's super interesting it does sound like it's been a bit of a journey through it all (laughs) um yeah Stan Digby is there sort of anything you want to add about like any of your own experiences or experiences that maybe friends or colleagues have had
2: Um, So I don't have specific experience with it personally, but I have uh, observed it quite a few times um, on the wards. And uh, you do often hear people say like, oh, if a chest strain is being done, like I have to leave the bay because I can't stand that or, or, um, you know, something along those lines. It's definitely something that I've um, observed a few times.
0: Yeah. And I guess that's really interesting as well, that it's not just the the healthcare professional or the patient that can have a phobia, like if both are have, like both have a phobic response to something, I guess that's quite challenging in a way.
3: I think my first experience of of blood and uh, feeling faint was donating blood, and then thinking I felt okay, but having to rush off to a pre-practical lecture, um, sitting down and on the stairs in the lecture because it was full and suddenly feeling really uh, faint and ill and having to lie down. And then the next one was a bit further down the line when we were helping with operations in the gynae section, and uh, we had to do a caesarean. So I was gowned up as an assistant, and um, unfortunately the gynae surgeon surgeon, uh, cut the uterine artery and it immediately started fountaining, Uh, right into my face and you know predictably and I don't know how the anaesthetist realized but somehow in the small area of skin visible above my mask um, he said are you are you feeling all right and I said no no, I'm feeling quite faint and he said well move away from the table i.e don't fall into it and um, and the nurse said well you better come next door so I went into the scrub room and I laid down on my back with my hands and legs (laughs) in the air thinking oh this will pass in a second and I'm going back to the table and the nurse just started laughing and said you're not going back and and that was it so it was a bit embarrassing I mean I now know there's a term for it blood phobia but it's not like other phobias in that you don't always have a kind of panicky advance warning it's it's kind of hits you with the the faintness uh, more quickly Um, There is a modeling thing where you see somebody else with the problem. And I think it's a bit like vomit phobia where somebody starts throwing up and somebody else with the problem follows suit. It's kind of one of those strange human things that's probably evolutionarily adaptive. So the other thing was being in a trauma unit in Cape Town, which were obviously quite busy, but, and I had this experience of kind of blood running down my arm from a, a bleeding head wound. And and started going and so they put me in a side room on a trolley and I sort of came to I didn't completely lose consciousness but I could sort of came to and looked over and my colleague that was doing the trauma <laughs> session was on another trolley oh no. having thro- thrown up in her experience of 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 what she'd seen a bit like Lily I knew at that stage I wasn't going to be a surgeon um but the other just Small thing is about a bit like Lily described that if you can expose yourself to these things that you gradually lose the sensitivity and I think I did that by being well I had to, I worked in mission hospitals and that sort of things so there was no option but I usually preferred to be in the assisting position.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Lily, did you ever find the kind of contagious aspect of your phobia with something that happened to like other people around you, like with the needle phobia, for example?
1: The, the issue is, is when you're trying to expose yourself is you are not that competent a doctor. If you can't take the blood, you, that's you do you, as an F1, especially you, that is you have to do it. It's your job. And so at the beginning of kind of yeah, third year taking blood, patients could obviously tell that I was really scared. And they would absolutely—they would like tense up. They'd be a bit like, oh, have you done this before? Like, and then that would really stress me out. And then it would just get worse and worse and worse. And I was very stubborn. So I actually never gave up. I never like was like, oh, I can't do it because um, that would have been too embarrassing. I have too much pride. But that definitely made it worse. And that really taught me that even if I'm scared, I have to pretend I'm not or the patient is going to get so scared. Um, and that made a huge difference actually because then as soon as I started pretending not to be scared I just became less scared and then I did more and then it's like a circle and then fi- eventually you've done so many that it just feels normal and now it feels normal and I don't feel scared at all um I have moments like I had to put a grey in the other day a grey cannula like a really big cannula and I, re- I had a moment when I put it in I was like oh really oh, I'm not sure about <laughs> this So it is tricky and it's like not always predictable. I really relate to what you were saying about how um, with your blood phobia, you don't always know it's going to happen. Because with me, I always know that there is a risk with any sort of needle procedure that I could feel a bit funny. But my first ever proper faint, I was watching a Hickman line removal. And I felt completely fine. I thought I'd really conquered my needle phobia. Um, this was in like fourth year. And I had. Yeah, I felt completely fine. And then suddenly I woke up on the floor and had oh, no, no. Like, no idea that it was going to happen at all. It was so embarrassing. And it was in the chemotherapy units. And they put me in this massive chemotherapy chair. They put a blanket on me. And I was sat with all the patients getting chemo, like shivering. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. But they're all really lovely. And it is just getting back up and trying again. And it, it feels really heartwarming to hear you say that you eventually really liked assisting because I have OBS and Gynae next year as an F2. And a lot of my job will be assisting in C-sections. And that's my biggest. That's one of my biggest things I've struggled with as a as a medical student is C-sections. Um, and I'm going to have to do it and I will do it. I just have to accept that maybe the first few times will be a bit tricky. But it's all fun and games, like genuinely, <laughs> like it is just like you get there and it's not, it's not that deep, like again, because I have no trauma associated with it. I'm really privileged to be able to just, it's a fear, it's an isolated fear for me and I can kind of compartmentalise it and say it's a fear that I can manage. There's no like deeper roots. But to some extent, I'm sure that's not entirely true, but at least for the most part. So I find that really helpful to kind of think of it as just a fear and it's manageable.
0: Yeah.
2: I was just going to say I think what both um, Digby and Lily have said about this kind of expectation that this might happen is very interesting because even though I don't have any phobias that I'm aware of every time I've gone into um, something as a medical student for example seeing my first c-section or going into like anesthetics or anything that involves uh, more procedures I've always thought like what if I do have a phobia and what's you know what's going to happen because you never know until you're um, exposed to that thing I guess and you know I have had moments in surgery where i felt um squeamish for example but i wouldn't really call that a phobia and other times when i've been absolutely fine um so it is very interesting kind of all the procedures that we're exposed to for the first time ever and you just have no idea what your reaction might be
0: that's such a good point like in medicine you just get exposed to so much so much stuff that you would never get exposed to if you didn't do this job so yeah no that is really interesting and I thought maybe we could talk a little bit more about kind of what it's like to have a phobia in a medical setting, but also like this kind of grey area that Stan is kind of referring to um,
4: right after this message from our sponsor. Indemnity. You've probably not given it much thought, but it won't be long until the risk of claims and patient complaints becomes all too real. Whatever lies ahead, you need experts in your corner who offer indemnity and a whole lot more. That's why it pays to be with medical protection. There's our free membership during your medical school years, our wealth of training resources to help you become the best doctor you can be, and our international experience that protects you during your elective no matter how far from home you end up. In fact, there are many reasons why our members worldwide trust us to support and protect them throughout their careers. And if you're looking for one more, every week one lucky new joiner wins £200. That's the average student weekly spend. Just join for free and you're automatically entered into the draw. That's why UK medical students choose to be part of Medical Protection. You can't blame them, so why not join them? Visit medicalprotection.org to find out more.
0: Okay, back to the show. So, yeah, Stan, you were just saying that, like, you feel sometimes a bit, like, squeamish or, like, uncomfortable in theatre. And I think a lot of people can, like, relate to that feeling of just, like, It's not the most natural environment to being, I suppose. Um, So Digby, how do you kind of know when you have like a full-blown phobia or when you just don't really like something?
3: So I think the the cut off really is, is moving over into physical symptoms. And I think the experience of a panic attack is pretty clear. It's very difficult to think of it as anything else unless you've got parallel either mental or physical conditions where panic is part of it. But panic tends to be such an overwhelming experience so I think anybody who's a, who's had a panic attack as a result of a, of a specific fear knows that that is uh, moving into kind of more upsetting uh, territory um, and certainly if people have more than one phobia in fact the DSM the American diagnostic system now says that if you've had a panic attack for a specific stimulus then You need another month afterwards where you find yourself avoiding that stimulus or avoiding situations which might bring you into contact with it uh for at least a month and that then converts it into um into panic disorder so i think an early warning sign is increasing anxiety generally and i think once people realize that they that they get an early warning sign of some sort then they can move to making adjustments but in other contexts, it might be that if you know you're going to feel hot and kind of sweaty for another reason, then it's a bit like Lily said, that some of those things that go along with the experience that you can modify in advance. And I think that then becomes the way that you you actually deal with it. Because if you, like Stan was saying, you, you've you got that slight concern that you're going into the unknown and that then, for I mean, in a way, that's a perfectly normal response because because we have threat perception systems that will trigger because we're in an unknown environment that might be risky. I mean, in a way, that's why anxiety exists. It's a kind of early warning sign. So anxiety is the anticipatory element of fear, um, and that gives you the the clue. But it also gives you the opportunity to then uh, work with it and and avoid. For instance, uh, catastrophization. Mm.
1: Is that something
0: you found that you would notice in yourself,
1: Lily? Oh, I mean, avoidance. Yeah. So my childhood is avoidance of needles. It's yeah, absolutely. Uh, Anything possible to avoid um, that. Um, Then as getting older and being a student, definitely avoidance um, in that. Yeah. Couldn't cannulate for a long time. Just would avoid If, if someone asked me to do it. I'd just say, sorry, I can't. And then eventually realizing that I had to get over it, I kind of made myself not avoid it. But there's never, there's, maybe now there is, but when I was getting over it, there was never some switch where I was like, oh yeah, great. Now I'm not avoiding it anymore. I still felt avoidant. I just had to like mentalize and be like, no, you <laughs> have to do it. Um, and even now, like and the nurse is like, oh, we've tried to cannulate this person a million times and we need to get a pink in, there will be a sense of me that is like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it. Um, that's the avoidance. And then I have to make myself and it's always, now it's always fine. But yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely relate to that. And I we did an amazing episode, uh, f- I don't know, a couple of years ago, a year or so ago about fainting because that was my biggest um, consequence of my phobia Mm -hmm. um and he talked a lot about kind of being aware of what your like prodromal symptoms are and then tackling them and so I find that really helpful so when I know I'm going to be doing a needly thing I always sit down so I always have a chair because I just know if I'm sat down I mentally don't feel like I'm going to faint uh similarly when I watched c-sections in fourth year I had a chair every time I said I'm sorry I have to sit down and the nurses were all really nice about it obviously can't quite do that when you're assisting but I think that's like a step. So I think when I start assisting, I will have to be like, can there be a chair near me? I think that I will find that helpful. I'm definitely aware of I kind of go like things get a lot quieter before I'm about to really faint or really like start crying or something because of a needle. Mm -hmm. Um, Things go very quiet. My hands get very sweaty. My mouth goes very dry. And I just feel it's just like it's this fear. It's awful. It's just like you can just feel it rising Um, and I'm really aware of those feelings now and I will sit down I'll pause like with that grey cannula I had a chair so I sat down and I just left it in there for a little bit I was like sorry whatever it was called I'm just gonna have a moment and I didn't express him that I was scared I kind of more played it as like we're just trying to figure out what your veins are doing Um, and I just left it for a second and I didn't advance it until I was ready and that has been really helpful and just knowing you have the time is really helpful
0: yeah definitely I think like also it it just sounds like such a good approach to like really understand what's going on for you in those moments like Mm. it sounds like it might take a while to get to that point of like understanding what's going on in the moment for you
1: definitely um but yeah so yeah I I really feel for like first year students who have a needle phobia because oh my god it's hard it's so hard but like you can do it it's possible (laughs) (laughs) it sounds cheesy but you just have to do it and you'll you'll get there eventually
0: yeah definitely and and also what you said about there wasn't like one moment where everything just clicked into place and you realized oh i don't avoid it anymore like this is a constant yeah not a constant battle but like a constant kind of it's a constant battle no
1: it's a constant battle you can say that it is (laughs) like because now things bigger things are scarier so bloods and cannulas are okay now but that lp i found quite scary and i don't i think i will take a long time to do another one chest drains and cystic drains are a bit less scary than lps but they're still bigger than like needles and cannulas uh surgery is like a, a much bigger step so but everything gets easier as you conquer the next thing if that makes sense
0: yeah no it definitely does and yeah i i guess like another kind of we, we sort of touched on this earlier but knowing when to kind of step away from something i guess in a clinical environment can be quite hard like Stan you mentioned about feeling sort of uncomfortable in surgery sometimes and that's definitely something I've felt but I don't know about you but it's not the sort of thing where I've realised I needed to sort of step away from is that something that you feel as well? Yeah I
2: don't think um, I've ever come to the point where I actually had to step away most of the time I've been absolutely fine but I don't know how I would um how I would approach it if I did feel like I had to step away because I think in that moment you do feel under a lot of pressure because obviously as a student you're an extra person there in an environment that's already like so crammed in you know there's usually the consultant and the registrar that are doing the operation and you're sort of especially if you're scrubbed in you know assisting and I will feel like a nuisance trying to leave and uh, yeah so I'll probably just try and deal with it if i can
1: the thing is that is like if you then i mean i I don't i don't you don't get give me the vibe of someone who is gonna faint into the surgical field but if something did happen that's so much worse and so much more embarrassing than just being like sorry, I need to step out. And I always, then I just go and sit on the, like in the theatre hallway, I'll just sit on the floor. Um, And that is less embarrassing than I've had times where I've like nearly fainted in theatre. And that's so much more embarrassing. And my friend has fainted in theatre and she talks about it all the time as like her most embarrassing (laughs) event ever. It's so much less embarrassing to just be like, sorry, I need to step out. Even though it feels unnatural and it feels like you're breaking a rule, it's still better, I promise.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think like that, That probably takes a lot of courage as well to say like, okay, I'm going to remove myself from the situation. Did you find that, Lily, where like at first kind of sharing
1: those things was a bit difficult or did it just get easier with time? It got easier with time. It was difficult to start with. And I don't I very rarely would say, oh, I have a needle phobia. I need to step out. Mm Um, but I would, I would don't usually give a reason, or I might be like give an excuse, like oh I need to change my gloves or get a glass of water, something like that. It's harder when you're scrubbed in, um, but I actually find I'm better when I'm scrubbed in. It's a slight irony for my phobia. I'm better if I'm doing the thing myself. So mm-hmm. I, me doing a cannula is much easier than watching someone put a cannula in. Um, and so in theatre, if I'm scrubbed in, I'm generally better. I think because the adrenaline kind of keeps your brain going whereas if I don't technically need to be awake my body's out it's like you don't need to be awake we're gonna we're gonna conk you out um I don't know what that is but that's a thing for me so yeah it takes courage gets easier with time um I have started warning supervisors like not like in a huge extent but being like oh I used to be a bit funny with needles I'm really keen to try and I'm like I'm pretty good now but just to let you know and that that was fine
3: I think that's really important just the the whole idea of both of um, making a mental decision that you will deal with something but also being proactive um, and setting your your kind of parameters and in a way I suppose you are rehearsing an escape route if you know that you can exit there is actually a control element which is that if you feel passive then you're not making a decision and it's the way you kind of view yourself in the situation and if you view yourself as a as somebody who can be professional and can deal with these things um in spite of the difficulties um so i i would interpret your um situation a bit along those lines that if that because you know what you're you know yourself and you know your parameters might be a bit different for stan from a threshold point of view but you're still picking up what your parameters are and, and you kind of rehearsing a get out strategy even though you suspect you won't need one but it's it's I think it's about um, that whole thing of proactive, I think it's really important in medicine generally, because I think it's also that you will do something in order to reduce the likelihood because you don't want to impact on other people. So and that ties in with your whole approach, Lee, which is I'm not going to let this conquer me or kind of disadvantage me or disadvantage the team that I'm linked in with in that time. But I, but I, but you also have to remain functional.
1: Yeah, I really, really, really agree with that. I think control is such a big thing. The worst thing is the feeling of you feel like something's going to happen. You're feeling quite scared or something, a needle's come out that's bigger than you thought it was going to be and you don't feel like you can leave. You feel like everyone's going to judge you if you leave. You have no chair to sit on. I don't know, you're like scrubbed in so you can't get out. That feeling makes it 10 times worse because you just go into like a spiral and I guess that's panic. Um, Whereas if you feel within yourself, I have roots exactly, I have an exit strategy, I'm really hoping I won't need it. And actually having the strategy helps you not need it for me. Knowing I can leave means I can stay.
0: I think that is such a good point. I've definitely not not with a specific phobia, but um, yeah, that kind of feeling of if you have that provision there, you're less likely to need it it's just yeah
1: it's almost like I think reflective of like relationships if you feel trapped in a relationship you don't really want to be there whereas if you feel freedom it becomes healthier and you actually want to be there I think I find that kind of I think it applies to like most things in life humans don't want to be like trapped and without control and options and it applies for me with fear as well
0: and yeah, I guess like another problem with some of this stuff, like specifically with medicine is, is the not realising you have a phobia or something until it's kind of not too late, but until you're sort of in the moment. And Lily, it sounds like for you, this is something that goes like way back.
1: Yeah, I, al- I always knew I had it. Um, I never knew I would faint. That's, that was the big that was a big wake-up call for me was I never fainted before. My fear was very much just like fear. And I just didn't really think about it. I was like, oh, it's scary, but I can do it. Or or actually, no, more likely it's scary and I'll avoid it. Um, But the fainting, watching that procedure was so shocking to me. And that, and since then I've fainted quite a lot of times. And that's the worst thing is that I feel like it got me. Um, And so that took, that made me, much more proactive about dealing with the fear exposing myself having precautions there having an exit strategy all of that has come since a genuine bad consequence of me being scared um so I almost needed that very embarrassing moment to kind of shake me into you're going to be a doctor and people are going to rely on you and you're going to have to deal with it so what are you going to (laughs) do I find that helpful but I would advise people who haven't had that yet to do that before you have that moment But uh, it's easier said than done.
0: I thought maybe we could now move on after the advert to talking a little bit about kind of treatment and kind of when you know when to seek help and things like that. Um, But that'll be right after this.
5: I'm Dr. Matt Morgan, and alongside working as an intensive care consultant, I work as part of the BMJ On Examination team To support you in passing your medical exams. You can get access to our personalized revision resource online and in our app for years 1 to 3 totally free as well as a huge 40% discount on our medical student finals product. We'll help you pass your exams by making sure to maximize the best use of your time. We'll deliver you the most important questions, keep you on track with daily reminders, and give you feedback to show how you're performing. We're committed to making revision easy, so start your journey to passing first time today by visiting onexamination.com to sign up, or by downloading the onexamination app.
0: Okay, back to the show. I just was kind of interested to hear about how, I don't know, like maybe from like anecdotes you've heard, Stan, or um, people you know on the wards and things, how they kind of manage that. I've noticed in my friends at medical school using that avoidance tactic we talked about earlier.
2: Yeah, I think that's the most common thing I've seen actually, avoiding um, what it is that you have a phobia um, to. But I just don't know how practical that is um, I know, you know, if it's during the day, maybe, you know, there's somebody else to do it or you don't have to observe, you don't have to assist. I, I guess it, you know, depends on, on how severe your phobia is and, and how much you're actually needed. But yeah. So I think mostly people have um, taken a step back or, or completely left um, left the area because they know that they're going to have that reaction, which you already discussed is, is very important to have.
0: Yeah. Um, I think like in terms of kind of knowing when to kind of, seek help or maybe just like kind of start to tackle the phobia lily was there kind of a moment i mean you said that you had that bad fainting
1: experience um was that kind of the moment i think you i think it was just realizing that i had i like i wanted to be a doctor mm. and there was no tr- there's no option for me to not do it just because of a needle phobia that was just utterly ridiculous and not going to happen <laughs> so i guess what kind of respond to what you're saying sanamir is like it's not practical. You, ca- you can't have a doctor who needs to be regularly doing needles and stuff or blood stuff, terrified of needles and blood. So you can't have that. But I don't think, I think people who are genuinely, who are terrified and also very fairly, I think, not prepared to expose themselves and make themselves do it, they do fields of medicine that don't require that. And that's like, there are loads of doctors and loads of fields of medicine that you don't need to do those things in. Um On the other hand, most people I know who relate to me have had a similar experience to me, which is just slowly and gently exposing yourself and building up tolerance. I think it's really possible. I just don't... I don't know any, like, registrars who are terrified of needles. They either aren't a medical registrar or they were scared and now they've dealt with it. I think also people struggle with different things in medicine and I don't think anything, any one thing is more like bad to be dealing with so maybe you struggle with procedures because they find them scary or maybe you struggle with like the intellectual element of medicine or maybe you struggle with emotionally connecting with patients or maybe you struggle with just having enough energy to get through the day all these things are things that people deal with all the time and this is just another thing that people deal with I don't struggle with any of them except for the procedures so I feel really grateful for that and that that is my only battle. And other people have different equal battles and they're just different and it's fine. Yeah,
0: I definitely think that is like the most important like take home from this is like there's so many aspects to medicine Um, and like you can see it in like your friends and your colleagues as you go through medical school that like different people are struggling with different things all the time and that's so normal, I think. Um, So yeah, Digby, what kind of help or treatment options might be available for someone who has realised that they're kind of not in that grey area of, you know, not having those like really kind of severe symptoms that we talked about earlier that can be quite disabling.
3: What my psychologist colleague in the team has come back with is that um, she's not aware of specific services for medical students, but there's a staff support service you can access through trusts like um, Oxford Health, um, Psychology. Um, And if people actually faint due to a phobia, they suggest something called applied tension techniques. Um, And it looks like it's the opposite of progressive relaxation, which is where you do a muscular tension exercise, because one of the problems being that you pool blood in the peripheries, and that means that you lose blood in the central circulation. And then she's also attached something which I can possibly put a link to, which is a self-help guide on needle phobia, but really um talking space in the new kind of nhs world of how do people how do people get psychological input without having to go down the traditional route of referral to secondary care so talking space has been a you know people might complain that the waiting lists are long and that sort of thing but the but the concept of it and the numbers that they deal with is huge so talking space very clearly in their in their guidance manual they they make it explicit that they deal with specific phobias and graded response is the it's a very well recognized approach um
0: lily if you want to kind of share kind
1: of anything that helped you if, if you think that'd be helpful for other people um, the biggest thing is just it has just been exposure um i know there i think you can, they can do more formal exposure therapy things um but i literally just went on youtube and i'd watch weird procedures um and there's an episode in house where he like cuts open his leg and tries to pull out his own tumor and i found that i mean actually it probably sent me into a panic attack but that episode would really recommend (laughs) because i would make myself watch it and i eventually was able to watch the whole scene um and that was just really helpful it's a bit weird it does feel a little bit sadistic um but I think it's helpful. I once read that for exposure therapy, you should find 10 images or videos that you find really distressing. Um, try and kind of grade them in how distressing they are and then put them on like a PowerPoint and just try and get through them and see slowly how far up you can get, um, which is very kind of a clumsy and amateur way to do exposure therapy, but kind of easy and doesn't require having to wait for a professional if if that's what you'd rather just do it on your own. Um, so exposure... And talk to people, yes, talk to that's the big thing. Yeah, just tell people that you're scared, warn, warn your supervisors, talk to your friends about it, um, and just know that it will be fine. Like, it, I, I always say at the end of these episodes, I'm like, it will be fine, I promise you. <laughs> like, it will just be fine. Um, y- you will be able to get, if you want to, you will be able to get through it. I truly believe that anyone can get over something like a needle or blood phobia if they want to but you don't also you don't have to yeah if you don't want to you have to figure out
2: i think what um lily's kind of been saying and all this kind of like very positive um outlook is really great to hear that you know um, you're encouraging other students out there who might be dealing with the same issues that they they will be fine did you feel like because obviously you talked about your supervisors being very understanding and your clinical skills tutors kind of giving you ways to to try and help you with that did you feel like your medical school perhaps could have supported you more in some sort or was there anything you could access
1: I I think I've had a really good experience in that like when I rebooked my clinical skills I had a really lovely nurse and he'd actually as well as the registrar he made me cannulate which was mean but good (laughs) he also had got a um I don't know if she is psych I think she maybe she's respiratory but she kind of is a pastoral. Uh, senior, and we actually had her on the podcast. So I should, her name's Anna. Um, he had also got her in to talk to me for half an hour about what I was scared of, and that was like I was not expecting that at all. And that was revolutionary, actually, just having someone be like, You're scared of this, why do you think it is? And I talked about some experiences I had later in life that made my fear worse. Mm. Um, and I found it helpful to identify those moments. So I found that. Th- People were really supportive of me. The medical school itself, I don't know, because that was more of like a hospital-based thing. And also I had to be the one to organise the clinical skills. There is an element of being proactive and you're the one who has your fear, so you are going to have to be the one to deal with it. And whether, however you want to do that. Um, so part of that is you have to reach out to people. And I think most people will be receptive. I think medical schools in general now are much more modern and much more open-minded to people not necessarily being cookie cutter like classic 1950s male medical student and that's okay um so I uh, I feel optimistic about it so it's it's all fine it's all fine <laughs> in the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah I love that Lily that's that is such a good message
0: um and Digby kind of on the topic that Lily was just saying about the kind of exposure therapy is that the sort of thing that's that's often done
3: She's right that I think people create their kind of, and looking back, I think what I did a bit similar was auto graded exposure, which is you putting yourself through stages, incremental stages. But, but if somebody does need help and they end up at talking space, um, then graded exposure is the kind of humane modern way to do it. They, they did have flooding in olden times, you know, sort of putting the person in a room with spiders or, you know, just, deal with it and and flooding was great basically lost um credibility because it was just so unpleasant or the or the psychological equivalent was implosion which is suddenly presenting you with a kind of fantastic situation for those phobias that you can't emulate easily like thunderstorms or flying but then i think the other thing is just the self-help literature so i will I, it's not my book but i i will plug Feel the fear and do it anyway which feels a bit like some of lily's can-do slogans, which I think is so good, <laughs> if you kind of have them in your mind. Sound like a life e- of, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, yes, there will be fear, but actually I can do it. And um, Susan Jeffers came out of the educational, out of an educational establishment, I'm not sure where, but she ran groups. And then she distilled all of this into this book. And I've had patients come back to me. And obviously, this is secondary care, so maybe a bit more severe, but they've come back to me saying they've read it twice and they're on the third read and it's, so people have fed back they're finding it very helpful but I'm sure there are websites and, and and then talking talking is another big thing Lily said was just you know talk about it just over 1 in 10 people at some point will have some phobic aspect of their lives um, so it's very common and, and that means people can talk about it and, um, and get help
0: yeah no I think that's a really good a good note to end on So yeah, I think that's probably all we've really got time for today. Um, Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. It's been great to talk to you. Um, And thanks to everyone at home for listening to this episode. Um, If you like our show, please do share it with the people you know, leave a comment, contact us on social media if there's anything you want us to cover in the future. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Um, And... If you'd like to hear other episodes, make sure you subscribe, um, and every two weeks you'll get a new episode of Sharp Scratch to listen to. Um, yeah, so that's all from us today. Um, until next time, goodbye from us.